Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Seeking Truth podcast. This is our first episode of a brand new series that we are launching here at Seeking Truth called Unraveling Christianity. This is a series that we're doing that is going to delve deep into all those questions you have about Christianity and hopefully help answer some of your questions out there surrounding this faith and hopefully help to unpack some of those questions that maybe you've always had in the back of your mind but been too afraid to voice or you just haven't had someone that you could talk to about these things. So that's the aim of this series. This is something that you can share with friends of yours that have these questions or you may be the one yourself that have these questions and I really just pray that this series is something that will really help you grow deeper in understanding and like the name says unravel Christianity and what it's all about. So the first episode we're going to answer probably the foundational question of Christianity which is who is the Christian God and why is he the God that we should be believing in compared to all of the other religions out there. So we're going to go through some of the main religions. We're not going to go through all of the religions, but we're going to go through some of the main religions. We're going to compare them. We're going to see what the similarities are, the differences are, and then hopefully help to point you in the direction of starting to question why Christianity might be different to the other religions that are out there at the moment. So we are in a world where we are surrounded by different opinions and different beliefs. And I think we're starting to see a shift at the moment in um, Western culture towards what we call like new age spirituality, where people are starting to become aware that the world is a more spiritual place than we have previously thought, particularly in the Western culture. And people are starting to become really interested in manifesting and crystals and prayer and spell casting and things like that. And so I think we're starting to see a shift in culture to become more accepting of spiritual things, whereas previously before that hadn't been so. Like the crystal industry at the moment is huge, it's like every second like startup business that I see at the moment is something to do with, with crystals. So people are really open to this at the moment and they're really excited and eager to learn more about it and starting to see, I guess, things in their life align with the fact that we do live in a spiritual world. When you compare that to Eastern countries, um, they've always had a really – deep spiritual connection to the world, I would say. So when you go to Africa or India, they still have a lot of spiritual beliefs and spiritual systems and witch doctors and things like that. Whereas in the Western world, we have really lost touch with a lot of those things and become very agnostic and very atheist and really separated from the world being a spiritual place. So if you're kind of here because you, you know you're kind of starting to explore this idea that maybe the world is a little bit more spiritual than we think and starting to get into this idea of you know prayer or manifesting or crystals or witchcraft uh, I think I want to say thank you for starting to explore and question that you know things aren't always what you've perceived them to be and that there is a deeper meaning behind everything it can be hard to piece apart all of this conflicting information that we have at the moment, right? And so it's hard to piece apart what's actually true. 
And this is not just about religion. This is about everyone's opinion at the moment. Everyone has an opinion. Everyone believes that their opinion is right. And it can be really hard for us at the moment to discern what is actually the truth or not, because people will argue their point very strongly and it's hard to actually get to the bottom of the truth and figure out for ourselves what's actually real in in a way that we can be humble and honest to ourselves and to others about it. Um, everyone's kind of quite defensive at the moment about what their beliefs are and feel like we have to stand very firm in our conviction and not sway even if we're later proven wrong, which is really a sad thing that we, I think we all need to learn how to be more humble to hear from others and hear their perspective and to always learn and grow. Because if we, you know, if we have a hard heart and a hard mind and we never allow new things in, we'll never learn and we'll never grow. So the fact that you're even here listening to this today, I think shows that you are someone that wants to learn and you want to grow, which, you know, props to you for even being that person in the first place. So all the religions in the world, I believe, try to explain or answer two questions. First question being why we here and the second question being what happens after we die. And even if you're an atheist so that you don't believe that there's a God at all, you do have answers to those questions. You know, why are we here? We were here from evolution. It was an accident, the Big Bang. What happens after we die? Nothing happens. You know, so even atheists have answers to these questions. So everyone in some form of another has an answer to why we're here and what happens after we die, right? So these questions span past religion and race and culture, and they speak right to the heart of humanity itself. Everyone wants to know, why am I here on earth? And everyone has a question about what actually happens after we die. So if these questions are universal and each religion aims to explain them, how can we then know which answer and which religion is true? How can we know, you know which one is the correct one or is there even a correct one? Are we all deluding ourselves into thinking that our religion is the only religion and everyone else is wrong, you know? So let's have a look at what some different religions say to try and see some of these similarities and differences and try and piece it apart a little bit more. So Hinduism, Hinduism explains that we're here because we're in an endless cycle of death and resurrection, which is referred to as the samsara. And this cycle continues until we all reach uh, moksha or salvation, which ends this cycle of reincarnation. And the way that you reach moksha is by striving for dharma, which is living by good conduct and good morale. Okay, so you're going to be continuously resurrected until you can reach salvation. And the way you're reaching salvation is by living through good conduct and good morals, right? So that's the Hindu belief. Um, and then there's multiple gods in Hinduism and each of them serve a different purpose. So you have, you know, the God of destruction, the God of new beginnings. So you have multiple gods that represent different things. And they believe that after salvation, your soul becomes part of this one absolute soul where everyone's soul goes to be a part of this. Okay, so that's Hinduism. Buddhism says why we're here. We're here because human life is the suffering and meditation and labor are ways that we can achieve enlightenment or nirvana. And they don't believe that there's a God in Buddhism. Instead, Buddha was actually the person that created this religion and lifestyle. And that's who is now idolized through these statues. 
And so they believe in Buddhism that suffering comes from desire. So when you desire things, then you will consequently suffer. And they also believe in reincarnation and that our current life circumstances are based on the actions in our past lives. And that's similar to karma, which Hinduism also holds, where when you're reincarnated, Based on your past lives, you'll be reincarnated into a different class as karma for the bad things that you did previously, right? So Buddhism, life, why we're here, life is um, trying to achieve enlightenment and the way you become enlightened is through meditation and labor and I guess crushing desire so that you don't suffer. Okay, so that's Buddhism. Christianity. Christianity believes that we're here because we've been created by a God who wants relationship with us. And the purpose of our life is to love him and others through our actions and our words. And Christians believe that he gives us resources to help us accomplish that goal, such as the Holy Bible, Holy Spirit, and those things speak to us and guide us to help us live a life of love and of goodness towards others. Similar to, you know, what Hinduism believes, where we have to live a good life and good morals to others. Christianity believes that we have the Holy Bible and the Holy Spirit speaking to us to help us go down that path and guiding us in the right direction. And the last religion we're going to be looking at is Islam. So Islam is the religion. Muslims are people who believe in Islam. Um, So Muslims believe in the God Allah and they believe similar to Christianity, that Allah is the only God and that Muhammad was his messenger. And Muhammad verbally dictated the Quran, which Muslims now use. That's the equivalent of the Bible for Muslims. And similar to Christianity, Muslims also believe that they have to live a life of faithfulness towards Allah. And they do this through praying, living a morally good life, fasting regularly. So again, similarities with Hinduism, Buddhism, Christianity, and Islam, all of them kind of have this view that, you know, we're here to live a good life. We're here to be morally correct, morally acceptable in order to please the gods. The difference between Islam and Christianity, though, is that Muslims don't believe Allah is a God of relationship. Um, He doesn't want a relationship with you. Instead, he sits above you and you should submit to him. And they believe that Allah will reveal his will to you, but he'll never reveal himself to you. So that's a big difference between Christianity and Islam, whereas Christians do believe that God does want a personal relationship with you and a deep, meaningful connection with you. So that answers the first question for those religions, you know, why are we here? Obviously, there's a lot more religions than this in order for sake of time and just to kind of get the overall concept of things. I'm just keeping it to those, I would say, most common ones. So what happens after we die? That's the next question. So all of the religions agree we're here on earth to live a good life, do good to other people and honor your God, right? So that's what all of them believe on earth with some differences. So what happens after we die? Well, Hinduism believes that depending on our life and how well we've, you know, followed those good moral conducts and and values, we'll either be reincarnated to a a class system. And like I said before, a higher class for people who um, were good in following those moral conducts and a lower class for those who did not. Um, Or if we have, you know, achieved moksha, achieved salvation, we will become part of this absolute soul 
And they believe that the quality of your life that you're living now is due to your past actions. And it's a, it's a punishment for not living according to the goodwill. Okay. So you can't change your quality of life. It is as it is. It's punishment for your past things, but you can try and live a good life now so that your next life, you'll be a higher class and and not have so many sufferings in your life. Buddhism, Buddhism believe that um, if you haven't achieved enlightenment or nirvana, you'll be reincarnated again, similar to Hinduism, and just keep getting more and more chances until you achieve enlightenment or nirvana. And after that, you will no longer be reborn, but it doesn't elaborate, I guess, on once you achieve nirvana, where do you go? What happens? Um, I know there's a lot of cultural things about nirvana almost being like a heaven, but it doesn't explicitly ever say that you go to a heaven-like place. It's just that you achieve nirvana and you stop being reincarnated. So that is the belief of Buddhism. Um, Islam believe that there's a day of judgment that is coming. And on that day of judgment, every human will be judged for the good and the evil in their life. And they'll be punished for the evil that they've done and rewarded for the good. Um, And there'll be no forgiveness of the sins that you've done because that's not fair towards those who have not sinned. And depending on the balance of the good versus the evil is whether you'll go to heaven. So if you've done more good than evil in your life, then you will be rewarded for that and go to heaven. They don't call it heaven. They call it yana, but it's it's essentially the same thing. It's a paradise place. And they also have a, a hell place as well, um, Jahannam, which is where you go if you've weighed more negatively in the balance of your life. Um, so Christianity. Christianity says as well that, you know, if you've lived a life of love for God and for others, and if you believe that Jesus has come to allow us to have personal relationship with God, then you will go to heaven. Um, Christianity believes that God will forgive anyone who comes to him and commits their life to him before they die. So regardless of how long you've lived in sin or how quickly after this point of coming to God you die, you'll still be forgiven and you'll still go to heaven. So you could commit your life to God on your deathbed essentially and God will still forgive you and say that you can go to heaven. If we haven't lived a life for God and we've instead, you know, loved ourselves and been selfish and turned a blind eye to attempts for God to connect with us and be in relationship with us, then we aren't able to go to heaven and we go instead to this place called hell. So this is the background, I guess, or the four main religions and their kind of viewpoint on these questions about, you know, why we're here and what happens after we die and the relationship that we have with God. So what one is right then if there's, I'm sure you heard, there's a lot of similarities between these four religions and it can be difficult to then know which one is correct. And I think it's actually a point in, in favor that all the religions kind of have this similar theme and overlap of living a morally right life because I think that shows that that is an ingrained sense between all people, regardless of religion, that we should be living a life that is good to other people and that is being loving and caring and that there's some form of punishment for not living a good life, whether that's, you know, being reincarnated over and over again, whether that's being reincarnated to a lower class system, whether that's, you know, going to this um, idea of hell that 
Islam and Christianity has. So there's this sense of justice for punishing people who have lived in a very selfish, evil way. And there's justice for people who have lived their life in a good and moral way. So, you know, if we've got this foundation that there's this moral sense of rightness and justice in the world, I think we can say quite confidently that that is something that we can believe in fully. That is something that we know to be a truth that's universal um, because we all have some sense of belief in that. You know, we all have some sense of justice in us. We can we can see that even if you're an atheist or agnostic, you have a sense of justice within you that people who do bad things deserve to be punished and people who do good things should be allowed to have more pleasures and more benefits in their life, right? We all have this justice ingrained into us. But none of the religions can really explain why we all have that, except for Christianity. So Christianity actually can explain why we all have this sense of moral right and wrong and justice. So to help me explain this, I need to give you a little bit of background context. So the law of God is the the Ten Commandments, which you might have heard about, Ten Commandments that God gave to his Jewish people. And they were written rules about how to live a morally good life, right? So it includes things like do not murder, do not steal, do not long for things that are not yours, right? So don't be jealous. And so these were 10 written rules that he gave his people to outline how to live a morally good life. And before Jesus came, the Jews, they were they were God's people. They were the people who believed in God. And then there were people called the Gentiles who were non-believers. So they were people from different countries, different races that did not believe in God, right? So if we can see that even people who have never received the law of God, you know, the Gentiles, the non-believers who've never heard God speak to them, can know in their heart that things like murdering and stealing and being jealous for things are wrong, even though they've never had God say that to them, that shows that there's some part of them being ingrained that does those things. So this this quote from the Bible kind of summarizes this point up really well. I'm reading from a book in the Bible called Romans, and I'm reading from chapter two, and it says, even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them that they're doing right. Okay, I'll read it again. Even Gentiles, so non-believers, who do not have God's written law show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them that they are doing right. So we don't need the moral code written down because we instinctively have it in our DNA and we know it in our hearts. And the reason that we know it in our hearts is because we are created in God's image. So part of God's moral sense of right and wrong was implanted into us when he created the first human. And that has now been passed down to each and every human with this sense of moral right and wrong. There are exceptions 
And those exceptions, I'm sure we'll go into in a later episode about how some people can be so very evil and live against this moral code of right and wrong. But for the people listening today and most of the people that you know have a sense of right and wrong, even if they act against it, they still know in their hearts what they're doing is right or what they're doing is wrong. And they may choose to ignore that and they may choose to not follow those promptings, but they still all have this sense deep down, right? So this is, I think, a main point of distinction that none of the other religions can really explain why we all have this sense of right and wrong, why this is a universal thing, regardless of what religion you actually believe and follow. We all have this moral sense of right and wrong. We all know what we should be doing and what we shouldn't be doing and all have this sense that the people who live good, honest lives are the ones that are going to have some kind of eternal reward. Okay. And that's, that's a universal kind of understanding. Another question we might have about religion is about this idea of speaking to God. Okay. So out of all the religions, the Christian or Jewish God is the only God that is said we can have a personal relationship with. All the other gods are external. We cannot speak to them. We cannot hear them. We cannot see them. They can cause negative things to happen in our life. They can cause floods. They can cause droughts. They can cause all of these things to have with us, but they're very much external to us. And there's this sense of having to please them and do the right thing and this fear of the consequences otherwise, right? So if you picture like a Hindu festival, there's a big statue of the God, they're worshipping the God, they're sacrificing things to the God, all in the hope that this God won't, you know, destroy them or give them a flood or something negative in the next short while, right? So there's a big disconnect from these gods and we're left feeling like, you know, they're watching us or they're judging every move and they're ready to send us into reincarnation or punish us at any moment, right? Even Allah never spoke directly to anyone but Muhammad, which means that there's only one source of information that Muslims have on what Allah said and what his will is and how you should live your life, right? So all the other Muslims have to base their judgment of right and wrong and what relationship with God should be like on Muhammad and what Muhammad has reported, okay? And there's been no other person to kind of validate that and back that up. Comparing that to the Bible, actually before that, Hinduism and Buddhism, again, Buddhism, one person has said what we should do as right and wrong and kind of dictated how to achieve enlightenment. Hinduism, none of the gods have ever spoken to anyone. So they're man-made images of what they believe these gods look like and they've given them names and they perceive that these gods want them to do these things, okay? But no one's ever heard them say things. It's just been an impression almost that they've gotten that these are the gods that exist and their names and what they look like and what they have to do to them. But there's no recorded times of these gods ever like speaking to anyone, right? So compare this to the Bible where God in the Bible alone spoke to over 40 authors as well as there are reports from all around the world today from people who are Christians that God has spoken to them personally as well. So people 
have recorded, over 40 people have recorded what God said to them. And then people today have also reported that God has spoken to them. And those reports align with each other. So there are people who feel like God says something now, and then later they find that God has spoken something very similar in the Bible. So it's a across time consistent uh, message or words that God has said to people, but saying it to new people and saying it in you know of a language that they can understand and saying it in phrasing that they can understand and you know et cetera, et cetera. So not just one person, multiple sources of information, multiple confirmations about what God is saying and what he wants us to do, right? So again, there's this difference that Christianity kind of sets itself apart from the other religions and is different in that aspect, you know, comparing to Islam where, you know, Muhammad was the chosen one and only he was, I guess, holy enough to hear from God. In Christianity, everyone is chosen and everyone can have a relationship with God and, you know, no one is above anyone else. We can all achieve the same depth of relationship with God and we can all equally hear from God and have an opportunity to live a righteous life as each other. So there's no class system. There's no pride. There's no, I'm more holy than you, you know. Christianity views everyone who is a Christian as equal to each other and like an equal opportunity for everyone to hear from God. And the differences in the depth of relationship is based on, you know, your spiritual journey and your growth and your faith and the experiences you've gone through with God and all those things, you know, that that kind of is what helps us on that growth. But everyone has equal opportunity and God doesn't have his only specific people and everyone else is excluded. And because God speaks to everyone and he consistently speaks fresh things to everyone, fresh words with, and he's someone we can have a conversation with, someone who can guide us on specific things that we're living through right in that moment, that's why he's referred to as the living God, because he didn't just speak once, never to be heard from again. He is still living and he's still speaking both through revelation that we we get when we read the Bible and we, oh my gosh, you know, that makes sense and I understand something new. So he's speaking to us through that way. But he also speaks directly to us through prayer and when we're asking him for certain things or he speaks to us through other people or situations. This is why he's the living God because he's active and alive and knows exactly what we're going through. He's not distant and he's not a God that's come once and has never come again, you know. And this is a key point, I think, again, setting Christianity apart from the other religions because it it shows that the Christian God compared to the other gods is different. You know, all the other gods are idols made by human hands and can't speak into our lives, whereas the Christian God is continually speaking over and over again and is fresh every day. And the Christian Bible actually predicts this and warns against it. So there's two scriptures that I've just pulled out. There's there's lots of them, but these are just two. Um, the first one says, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. So that's from Jonah 2 verse 8. And the second one says, do not turn to idols or make metal gods for yourself. I am the Lord your God. And that's from Leviticus 19.4. So we've got two instances of him specifically saying not to make idols or metal gods because that's not actually who he is. So 
on two separate occasions to two separate groups of people, he has spoken not to make metal idols. So again, there's that idea of he's a living God. He speaks fresh every time, but the message is always the same, right? So I hope that helped to clarify a lot of the differences between some of those big religions and Christianity. Um, You might've picked up that I actually haven't talked about um, Judaism and Christianity. And you might be wondering, you know, is like, what's the difference between Judaism and Christianity? Don't they believe in like the same God? Yes, we actually do. So Judaism, like I said, they're the Jewish people and they were God's chosen people way back when from the beginning of the Bible. The Jewish people are God's chosen people. So why is there a difference now between Judaism and Christianity? So the difference between Judaism and Christianity is that Christians believe that Jesus was a form of God who manifested himself as a human to demonstrate to us how to outwork his law and how to live this life that he was asking us to to live. Um, And he also died on behalf of us so that we didn't have to die. So you know, coming back to that sense of righteousness and justice and this idea of punishment for, you know, our evil things in our life. So God, like some of the other gods, said that evil had to be punished, you know, and good was rewarded. He saw the difficulty we were having as people to live good lives and to follow those 10 commandments that I said before, do not murder, do not be jealous, do not steal. The difficulty we were having following those commandments and the evil that we were allowing to foster in our bodies and the horrible things we were doing to each other, right? And God knew that the punishment for that would be death. And he knew that the way the world was living, everyone would die because everyone had evil in their hearts, right? So he did something to help reconcile that or fix that. So he sent himself in the form of a human down to earth to show us how to actually live out the law that he'd, he'd said and how to actually be a good, kind, loving person, to like to be a symbol that people could look to as an example because the Jewish people were at a point where there was the really like law-abiding people and were like, we're so much better than everyone else. And they were following all the rules, but their hearts were really prideful and evil, like we're better than you because we're following all the rules. And then there were the people who, who were not following the rules at all, you know. So there was, there was kind of evil and layers of bad behavior everywhere, no matter what you looked right. So he came down to show us how to actually live out the law in, in a humble way without being prideful and with actually good intentions, not just to tick the boxes, right? That was the first part of why he came. The second part was that knowing that all of us had sin and knowing that that sin meant that we would all have to die and go to hell and not wanting that. He died in our place using his blood as a symbol. And there's lots of symbology through this if you do your own research, but blood was a very big symbol in the Jewish culture. And his blood symbolized that he was the like a sacrifice in our place, like he died in our place so that we didn't have to for our sins. And the way that we could access that, it doesn't just automatically apply to everyone because you have to actually believe that that 
was done for you and believe that it was not just a story. And by doing that, you recognize that even though I'll never be perfect, I know that I can still be loving and be caring and know that I have an opportunity now to accept this blessing that Jesus has died in my place, meaning I have a, a chance now at heaven. And so that's what Christians believe, right? There's a lot more to it. That's a, that's a brief recap. Jewish people don't believe that Jesus was God. And all of that stuff that I've just explained, they believe it happened, but they don't believe it had any power. They believe Jesus was someone who was pretending to be sent from God, and they were actually the ones that ordered him to be killed along with the Romans. Um, The Romans were really unhappy. They felt that Jesus was trying to steal their thunder and take over their cities, and so they had him put to death in kind of cahoots with the Jewish people, right? So Jewish people still live um, following the Ten Commandments and are still waiting because it was prophesied that a Messiah would come who would reconcile them and bring what they called a new kingdom to earth. They're still waiting for that. They don't believe Jesus was that guy. So they're still living by the law, um, by what they call the Torah, which is the parts of the Bible that don't include uh, the stories of Jesus. So they still live under this law and they still view that as, I guess, the, the things that they need to do in order to achieve righteousness while they're waiting for this Messiah. So we don't believe that as Christians we automatically become sin-free. What we believe is that we actually now have the ability to live sin-free as well as this sense of grace or forgiveness when we stumble and when we make mistakes. So that's why, you know, there might be some Christians out there who have hurt you and who are still not behaving in a morally right way. It's not because Jesus isn't real or God isn't real. It's because sin is still active in the world and sin still tries to have control and power over people. But we have, through Jesus, the ability to now overcome that and to see more clearly the choices that we make and to choose otherwise in the moment kind of enhances that moral sense that we have, that moral sense of right and wrong, because we now have God's spirit living within us when we accept Jesus and the sacrifice he's made. And that spirit is God's little voice inside of us, prompting us, reminding us of what's right and wrong, helping us make decisions, you know, et cetera, all those things. There's a verse in a book called Romans that helps to summarize up this tension between Judaism and Christianity. So this is Romans 8, verse 2 to 4, if you wanted to look it up. So it says the law of Moses. So that's who the law was given to, uh, a man called Moses. So the law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law, so the the justice that's demanded by the law, would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. So I think that's a, it's actually a quite a nice summary to summarize the whole view of Christianity um, and kind of summarize, I guess, all of the parallels of all of those religions and how Christianity kind of overcomes that tension of right and wrong and sin and evil 
through this person called Jesus who's died for us and and that's unlocked in us the ability to actually choose differently and and have a personal guide and personal relationship with God who can help us live a more loving life. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, I can talk about all these things, I can give you all of the facts, but it is it's a decision that you will personally make about whether you believe in God or not. Um, no one will be forcing you to believe. No one can force you to believe and no amount of theology or logic will be able to convince you of something that you need to really actually just feel in your heart and accept. But I think the the reason that you're listening to this podcast or the, the fact that you're listening to this podcast shows that there's some part of you that is seeking to understand or wanting to understand that a little bit deeper. And I hope that I've answered some questions for you or, or encouraged you to look a little bit deeper in and explore this a little bit more yourself, you know. Um, and that's exactly how I started. I didn't grow up a Christian. I had a lot of questions and a lot of doubt myself for a lot of years. Um, and eventually I came to a point where I, I made a decision to pursue further and actually go to a church service and listen to what they had to say and and try and understand it for myself. And that took a lot of time. And, and I know for a lot of you, that will take a lot of time for you to get to that point as well. But it would definitely take some courage and some boldness. And even the fact that you've opened this podcast and you've listened this far into it has shown boldness and courage and interest. And even if you still have lots of questions that are unanswered, I just want to encourage you to say that, you know, if you're searching and you're seeking to understand, God will reveal things to you and God will be there with open arms to accept you. And some things will always remain an unknown and some things we'll never understand because there's no way to explain them in a way that humans can understand it because we think from A to Z and we think in a logical timeline and there's no way to understand that unless you sit outside of time and outside of space and understand how someone's decision here can impact three people's lives over there, you know. So I'll leave you with a final verse to encourage you and that will be the end to this first podcast of this series. So Matthew 7 verse 7 to 8, it says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. So if you enjoy this, I encourage you to share it with people who might be going through the same thing or have the same questions as you. And yeah, I hope you liked this episode. We'll be doing Unraveling Christianity as a series for the next couple of weeks. Um, we've got quite a few topics to unpack. And so if you enjoyed this episode and you want to listen to some more topics that we have coming up, definitely subscribe and turn on your notifications so that you don't miss out. I'll be putting new episodes out every Tuesday morning, depending on where you are in Australia. That will be at a different time, but Tuesday morning in Australia. So whatever the equivalent is for wherever you live, a new episode will be released. So thank you again for having a listen. If you want a written version of what we have just talked about, you can have a look on my website, www.mjanecatchpole.com.au. 
and it has a written version of this podcast in case you prefer to read or you just want to share a written version to someone you can have a look there thanks again for listening i'll stop talking now and see you next week bye